This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here, and welcome to Irish Time here on the Manawatu People's Radio, the best community station in the province. I'm going to be reading little bits and pieces out of Irish papers. Uh, some of it's quite interesting, actually, you know, because I'm interested, because I'm from Belfast, I have a, you know, politics is a blood sport where I come from, so I'm really interested in politics and current affairs. So some of it will be about, uh, you know, the trouble in North and South. But anyway, we'll start with some other stuff that's really hitting the headlines. Storm Barra brings strong winds, heavy rain and snow. It was, I was talking to my brother the other night and it's, it's grim. Storm Barra has brought strong winds, heavy rain and snow to Northern Ireland. Some flights were cancelled, uh, driving conditions are difficult and there have been power cuts and flooding. I think 30,000 people over that, uh, you know, power. Uh, yellow warning for wind uh, was in effect from 8 o'clock there the other day, while a red warning remains in place in southwest of the Republic of Ireland, because it's not just Northern Ireland, it's the whole of Ireland. That prompted schools to be closed in uh, 12 counties, while 38,000 homes and business remain without power. This is in uh, the south. Northern Ireland Electricity said less than 1,000 of its customers were without power on Tuesday evening, but that's yeah, it got worse since. Extra in Northern Ireland, uh, electricity staff were brought in to deal with a repair effort and field calls from concerned customers. Well, I should say consumers. Stormborough, uh, you know, the this Irish correspondent here said, advises people to stay indoors if you can as a yellow weather, yellow weather warning is in place. While sleet and snow fell over the west of Northern Ireland, the strongest recorded gust was 122 kez. Uh, mile, well, 122 k's, 76 miles an hour, in Orlock, in over there in County Down, on the the north coast, 70 uh, miles per hour. Gusts were recorded in uh, at McGilligan in County London Derry. So it's pretty pretty grim. That's the sort of weather you want to be out in. In the Republic, uh, counties uh, Cork and Kerry were uh, also under red warnings until uh, tonight, midnight tonight. Due to a combination of uh, coastal flooding, high tides and storm surges. Uh, a gust of Cork in Cork City near the River Lee uh, hit 113, that's over 70 miles an hour, gusts. Uh, the, the, county, the country's next warning level status orange was in effect for a time across counties Limerick, Waterford, Galway, Mayo, Wexford, Dublin, Louth, uh, Wicklow and East Meath. Uh, Matt Heron also issued an orange warning for winds in Dublin from between 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock in the morning. Ireland's Department of Education has advised schools and counties under red uh, not to remain open until next Wednesday. Uh, Northern Ireland, the yellow uh, alert for uh, wind warns for a risk of spray or long waves, in uh, large waves, I should say, in coastal areas. I've seen some of the photographs and it is pretty... Uh, Rugged to say the least, but it's you know, it's not just Ireland, lots of other parts of the UK and Europe are getting a similar kind of weather. 
And Belfast, the Christmas market in the grounds of City Hall was closed on Tuesday, as was Victoria Park in East Belfast and the National Trust uh, Mount Stewart Estate on the shores of Strangford Lock. A, w- a wall collapsed at Bolly Walter Harbour in County, Ant- uh, County Dan, while scabbling collapsed on only a car in Derry. Communities Minister Deirdre Haggerty said the emergency payment scheme for those for people whose homes have been flooded have been activated. Households who have suffered severe inconvenience as a result of the flooding can claim up to £1,000 to ensure their homes are made habitable as soon as possible. You want that now since it's only Christmas is only a matter of two to three weeks away, so you want your house with guests and visitors and stuff like that coming, you know, passing through over the Christmas period. Right. Ireland is to receive almost €1 billion Euros from its European Commission as part of its uh, Brexit Adjustment Reserve. The aim of the funding is to help Ireland's economy in uh, mitigating the impacts of Brexit through support for regions and economic sectors, including job creation and protection, such as short-term work schemes, reskilling and training. Ireland is the biggest beneficiary of the, of the reserve and the first member to receive its pre-financing, receiving €920.4 million Euros. Uh, of the the top five five point four billion reserves, so they they're gonna pardon me, they got a fair share of it. Commissioner uh, for Cohesion and Reforms, Alicia Ferreira, has said about the funding. Brexit has been had a, ne- a negative impact on many people's lives within the EU. It is the people in Ireland who feel it the most, and um, that's both north and south because it's a mess. The Euro's Brexit Adjustment Reserve stands for solidarity with those most affected in moving forward. We don't want to leave anyone behind. The funding that Ireland will save will contribute to improve living standards, support economic growth in the country and mitigate the negative impacts of in local communities. Ireland will save um, 365, £361 uh, million in 2021, £276 in 2022 and 282 in 2023. Uh, and uh, the funding and expenses since January 2020. Uh, 2020. The Commission also expects to adopt Brexit adjustment reserve decisions for the other member states in the coming weeks. So Ireland is kind of ahead of the pack there, mostly because it's in the, the most serious trouble, you know, because of the dispute between Northern Ireland and uh, Ireland. Uh, what have we got here? A consignment of 500,000 COVID-19 vaccines donated by Ireland has arrived in Nigeria. Good on them. This is the first consignment of vaccines donated by Ireland through the Convax uh, facility, a global initiative aimed at providing equal access to vaccines for all the countries in the world. The Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, uh, noted that this is Ireland's second significant vaccine donation in recent months following uh, the recent delivery to Uganda. Good on them. Following Ireland's recent direct donation of over 300,000 vaccines to Uganda, I welcome the first delivery of vaccine doses donated to Nigeria. The significant donation of 500 vaccines in Europe represents Ireland's continued commitment to universal access to the vaccine. And I think that's, I mean, that's, they have to do that, you know. Whether they do is another matter, of course, but it is because this is a, a global issue, not just local uh, COVID-19 vaccines and their fair and equitable distribution uh, has to work. Minister for Overseas Development, uh, Aid and for the Diaspora, Dr. Colin Brody, I believe that everyone should have access to a COVID-19 vaccine, no matter where they live. True. 
as we uh, know from our own experience, vaccines significantly reduce risks of serious illness. Improving the number of people vaccinated worldwide is essential to getting the pandemic under control. Ireland has a long-lasting relationship with Nigeria, and we are happy to support their efforts to keep their people safe. We have committed uh, to sharing 1.3 million vaccine doses with other countries through COVAX as we play our part in the global response to this pandemic. The donation of 500,000 uh, is, you know, just a start. Well, good on them because that is really is, is important that, uh, you know, people actually get around and do that. Right, what about, this is something I'm interested in. Hopefully you might find it interesting too. Ireland's class system exists whether we like it or not, well, I've always felt there was a class system. Most countries got a class system. It's always people who you know, uh, do okay, and other people who don't do okay. And uh, you know, fairness and equity, and you know, all those egalitarian things that we like to think just don't uh, happen anymore. And it's become kind of uh, you know accepted, which is uh, a bit of a tragedy, really. When the CEO of the pri- of uh, private Beacon Hospital in Dublin phoned the uh, the private school his children attend in order to offer teachers their, through their COVID vaccinations. He rode roughshod over the guidelines. So there was nepotism here. Um, there followed a media outrage, and for once the outrage was not misplaced. The hospital, which was the last to agree to join the state vaccination system, insisted it was merely using up vaccines that would have gone to waste. Nonsense. It decided the best way to do this was by giving them to a school 13 kilometres away and in a different county. It was clearly reprehensible. It was clearly immoral. What has not been admitted, though, is that it was also Ireland's class system in naked view. One of the most uh, startling characteristics of Irish society is the belief, both held by those living in Ireland and those outside, that Ireland has no class system. Well, I'm one of those Irish people that never felt like that, never agreed with that. Uh, a working class boy from Belfast, I used to, used to observe a lot, I used to have my eyes open and read the papers and used to see what was going on. This seems to be stemmed from a couple of outdated and distorted ideas. Firstly, like so many Irish uh, notions, it's linked to our relationship with the British. Having a neighbour uh, internationally known for its uh, class system has left Ireland the easy option of positioning itself as, a fr- uh, as free of such a ludicrous structure. Indeed, the fact that Britain is currently governed by toffs with top hats does, uh, does show the insidious strength of the British class system even now. For the US, though, being so clearly different from the British was enough for this particular image of class-free Irish to take root. Secondly, we were able to, for so long to take cover in our relative poverty. When the country was poor, and despite the recent decades, it has been poor by European standards for most of its existence. True. It was easily uh, to believe that the poverty was equally shared. Well, all nobody had anything to do with that anymore. Nobody believes that anymore. How could we have a class system when we sort of uh, don't believe in that? You know, we believe that there is a class system that it has to go. Really, you know, this illusion that we are all kind of, you know, all equal in God's eyes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not true. So the great Irish response to the, the presence of a class system in our society is to simply do not to mention it. You know, that's very true. It's like New Zealand. Nobody likes to talk about it. Or in America, probably. No, no, we don't have that here. It's only in Britain where they have you know, aristocracy and other European countries. 
maybe uh, blindingly obvious, but there is a class system in Ireland, but we don't mention that. Hopefully nobody will notice. For instance, as a significant of class, schooling ranks pretty high, as Britain's current Conservative Party shows. Roughly around 7% of Irish people attend a fee-paying school, the equivalent of a British private education, private schools. That's that many, that's uh, the economic and social elite. It's an experience shared by uh, 93% of uh, Irish people. Yet in our current government, if the top three men, the three leaders of the ruling parties, two went to an exclusive free, two went to an exclusive fee-paying school, that's about sixty percent overrepresentation of a small section of society, hugely overrepresented, right at the heart of power. Would any of us be shocked to find similar overrepresentations in law, CEOs, and the media? Yet somehow Ireland doesn't have a class system, so they say. I've even been told that we were all in the same boat by someone who was reared in a small town in Ireland with the equivalent of a, a nanny. We've uh, even listened to the member of one of Ireland's elite political families tell us thousands of thousands of emigrated and that we couldn't live on a small island. And that's why we don't have a class system. God. When it came to class, even at home itself, it was just for some people. Even the country itself, it sort of uh, didn't exist. And still we didn't have a class system. Of course, we might not have the obvious class uh, system that Britain has had and we might, has had and still has, and we might not have such extremes of wealth and poverty. But to say there is no class system is a bizarre, disturbing lie. We tell ourselves classes meant people have stayed in Ireland and, for some, and some, ha- some have left. It has meant some people uh, operate power and others don't even know where the levers are. And they say that Ireland doesn't, you know, a lot of people still think that you know, in Ireland... A uh, class system doesn't have one, doesn't exist. Nonsense. That is, it was an in- interesting little article, and I quite enjoyed reading it. Like I said, and it says in there, like, it's like stating the obvious. And this brings to this other uh, little article I came across. It's from the Irish, uh, it's the Irish Times. Why do nationalists hate uh, their own country so much? To observe Irish nationalists, uh, where they be COVID riding on the streets of Dublin or uh, you know filling up uh, with misinformation on social media it is it is an obvious a seething hatred against the Irish people. Mm. It is to observe a seething hatred against the Irish people. They especially seem to hate the country as it is now, the Ireland that is that actually exists. They hate eighty nine percent of those who who've been vaccinated against COVID. They hate the sixty two percent of us who voted for same sex marriage as an inalienable right. They hate the sixty six percent of us who voted for women to have rights over their own bodies. Abortion, good on them. They hate any of us who might welcome a more multicultural Ireland, who believe in a truly welcoming Ireland, who believe, in fact, in Ireland itself. These nationalists hate quite clearly an awful lot of things about this country and an awful lot of the Irish people in it. They drape themselves in the flag at any given opportunity, parade the constitution of this state as if it were their Bible, but they hate us. Well, what they say they love so much, they openly talk about poor Ireland. What has she done to deserve uh, patriots like this? And, you know, the, uh, the, a nation like it has become, what they believe it has become. Ireland is not alone, is it? Look at uh, the MAGA, the MAGA patriots of the US, Donald Trump's kind of mob. 
Look at them storming their own parliament. Look at them storming their own democracy. Who are their enemies? These Americans love uh, these Americans loving Americans. Their enemy is other Americans. Did uh, patriots learn from them, or did they learn it from us? Callie Rittenhouse, uh, after after all, standing smiling, no tears now. Next to Donald Trump, shot and killed two Americans. Uh, next to enemy soldiers from the other countries in the fields of of faraway places. Two Americans on the street of America, that's how much a patriot he is. That's how much of a nationalist he is. That's how much he loves his country. So much he's willing to kill for it, to kill his fellow citizens, his fellow Americans. Modern patriotism, it simply hates what it says and it shows no love. Take our neighbours over the water, those uh, uh, Brexit Brits. They hate those uh, against Brexit. They hate those who didn't vote for Brexit. They hate those, those young men who represent England but have the audacity to miss a penalty and shoot out. That was that guy, you know, played for Manchester United, I believe. Uh, he took on a lot of abuse because he missed a penalty and because he's a black Englishman. They hate those uh, imagined elites who look down on them and then choose ordinary every day. Didn't go to Eden, didn't go to Dulwich. Johnson and Farlows are as their cheerleaders. I mean, they're people who are quite wealthy and uh, you know had a privileged life, really, compared to the majority of others. If modern nationalism uh, didn't have contradiction, it would have nothing. Take your country back from whom? Your fellow countrymen and women, your fellow citizens. Son of Irish immigrants, Tommy Robinson's English Defence League paraded after all through the streets of England. Defending England from well, England. Modern nationalism, it prays against itself. It hates, it kills, actually kills its fellow citizens. It despises. The first dictionary of definition of patriotism I came across uh, just says patriotism is his devotion to and uh, vigorous support for one's country. Modern patriotism, modern nationalism is more like uh, committed to despising of one's country and the citizens in it. I love Ireland. I've loved it here since I was a child of immigrant Irish parents growing up in England. I loved it when I was, I wrapped myself in the tricula in Italy way back in 1990, World Cup football. Uh, the first time I've ever been uh, I've ever been abroad, I'm a little bit older now, and I've lived here for well over 20 years. Raised my family, my Irish-speaking kids here, worked here for more than two decades. I still love Ireland, but I'm not a nationalist. I'm not a patriot. I always wish my country the best. I always wish the best for this country. And when football matches on, I shout for Ireland. So there you go. That's quite an interesting little piece there. I'm really sort of, uh, you know... You know, nationalism, it's, it's a curse around the world, actually, you know, more than sort of just Ireland or even in England. This is something else I found quite interesting. Hopefully you found it just as interesting. It's about Adolf Hitler. Search through the names of the Holy Sepulchre, Catholic Cemetery, and Corum, Long Island in New York, for long enough and you will eventually find the graves of an Irish woman and her son. The final resting place of one Bridget Elizabeth and William Patrick, would be uh, indistinguishable from the hundreds of other graves. There were, if it were not for one small yet striking detail. There's no surname on their shared uh, headstone. That is because Bridget, born Bridget Darling in Dublin in in 1891, bore William Patrick with a name named Alphaeus Alphaeus Hitler, the half-brother of Adolf himself. In uh, 1909, 
He was working as a waiter at uh, the Shelburne Hotel in Dublin when he first met the woman who would become his wife. Bridget, who was just 17, had been working as a cook when her father, William Darling, struck up a conversation with a handsome foreigner. Uh, Alice told them he was a businessman on a trip to Ireland, even if Bridget had known the truth. Convicted of theft, he was convicted it would have made little difference, such was her affection for uh, the Austrian. The couple eloped to to London and married on uh, June 1910. Bridget was yet to turn 19. He was 28, uh, a decade her senior. William Darling threatened to have him arrested for kidnapping, but Bridget dis- uh, dis- dissuaded him. The couple soon settled across the Irish uh, Sea in Liverpool, where their son William Patrick Hitler was born. Bridget couldn't have known, but she j- had just given birth to the nephew of the man who would become the most notorious genocidal dictator in European history. In Liverpool... Alphys and Bridget opened a restaurant, but Mr. Hitler was not a very good businessman and soon went broke. Oh. He, fled, uh, he fled his debts to Germany in 1914, proportionately uh, to, to make money selling razor blades. But the outcome of World War I, one meant returning home to Liverpool, had become an impossibility. Back in Germany, he joined the German army and was uh, mistakenly reported as killed. He had numerous affairs before marrying again. Big missing, yeah. Years later, he got back into contact with Bridget and urged her to send her son to Germany to visit. Patrick, then 18, travelled to Berlin to meet with his dad and was introduced to Uncle Adolf while the latter spoke at one of his now infamous Nuremberg rallies. Yeah, so he met his uncle. The dictator got his nephew a job at a German uh, car factory, but the relationship soured after a, ni- a niece Adolf was having an affair with turned up dead. Wow. Uh... Patrick returned to live with his mother in England in the mid-1930s, but with World War II fast approaching, the poor quickly chose to emigrate to Long Island and went over to America, where Patrick gave lectures about his madman uncle. When the US joined the, the war effort, the way back there in 1941, Patrick enlisted the fight against Adolf and served in the Navy Medical Corps. Oh, good on him where he saw action received an honourable discharge. After the war ended in 1945, he worked as a laboratory technician and had four sons with his wife, Phyllis, one of whom died shortly after childbirth. Yeah. Bridget lived on the, couple's, on the couple's land in a small cottage. Neighbours had no idea of the family's connection to Adolf Hitler and said they kept to themselves. Everybody says that. Anyway... Bridget died in 1969 at the age of 78 and is buried beside Patrick, who himself passed away in 1987, age 76. None of Patrick's sons had children, but contrary to speculation, there was no uh, pact to inter- intentionally end the, the Hitler bloodline. That's a really interesting piece of uh, news, really. You know, Adolf Hitler and this kind of, you know, his daughter-in-law... Etc. Etc. Our sister-in-law, she'd say, not daughter-in-law. And there's a photograph. She's a fine-looking woman as well, and so was he. But they obviously didn't get, you know, they just didn't click in that respect. And Adolf was, uh, you know, not the safest guy you want to have as an uncle. Anyway, 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 that's about it for this week. Like I said, it's mostly uh, COVID stuff over in Ireland at the moment, and, and the really, really foul weather. 
but they looked at some stuff there in Northern Ireland. They've had nearly still around 2,000 deaths. And uh, had 1,900 cases in the last 24 hours of COVID. I think it's spreading all around Europe. is another surge. and uh, But Christmas is not going to be cancelled. There's going to be restrictions on possibly numbers, you know, family gatherings, as it were. But that would be it. They'll still be able to sort of go and see each other, etc., etc. And, uh, yeah, they've got, just like us, they have the COVID pass. Everybody has to have one you know, to get in and out of any sort of function in out of shops, et cetera, et cetera, which is good news. So it gives a, another a feeling of, uh, you know, safety that you're sort of dealing with people who are kind of free of the virus, et cetera, et cetera. But you still have to wear the mask all the time in the streets and on the public transport, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that's it off for me this week, and I will see you next week. Until then, take care. And be kind and enjoy yourselves. Okay? See you later. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.